This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 397 of the Yellow World Pods. I'm your host Stefan Wolzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 2-0 win against RCFC Köln, a 3-1 loss against Ajax in the Champions League with some controversy and we will preview Saturday's clash against RB Leipzig. For that and more joins me once again Matthias Zuck. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? It's good to have you back. I I am doing all right. I have no idea what controversy you're talking about, so... <laughs> We'll just have to see what happens. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I'm doing well myself. Thanks for asking. A little bit stressed. So uh, I'm not the most prepared <laughs> this time, I must admit, right off the bat. But, uh, you know, uh, let's be let's be honest. Uh, I wasn't too prepared when I made my predictions for the Cologne game either because uh, big old naysayer, Stefan Butzko, uh, I think I predicted a three-all draw or something like that. And what yep. happened was uh, yep. it was the first clean sheet of the season, and uh, yeah, yay! But uh, honestly, though, I think uh, I couldn't be happier with this two-nil win, and I think I'm right with the prediction so far that Cologne actually was the better team over, I don't know, 70 minutes or so. Cologne, I I think in the last 10, 15 minutes they did, did run out of steam. But uh, yeah, it was not an easy game for Dortmund at all. And I think that was there to predict. Now, what obviously is uh, something you can't really predict is uh, whether Dortmund will win against the run of play, which they seldomly do, but uh, this time they did. And I'm I'm really so happy for it just because, uh, you know, all the injuries and then all the uh, circumstances that Dortmund have to deal with um, getting this result is is really nice and it kind of feels a bit like poetic justice to me that uh, last season it was sort of the other way around the shoe was on the other foot where Cologne were the worst team and somehow snuck away with a 2-1 win or so and uh, this time Dortmund did them dirty so um, for, for that I'm very uh, grateful and um, it's just one of those losses that just feels so great to me at least you know it's very personal because in my expectation, Dortmund were not going to get away with all three points there. And uh, yeah, even a clean sheet, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously predicted Dortmund to win correctly. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> I did not predict a clean sheet. I think we both were like, oh, it's going to be six goals and a ton of goals and goals, goals, goals and nada. You know, I will slightly disagree with you ah. um, in that I don't think Cohen were the better side. I do believe they would have deserved a draw. Uh, I don't think Cohen did enough to win. Well, and the you, reason you re disagree with me and the coach, then that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, sometimes you got to say what you got to say, especially when Baumi is right there and looking at you in the press conference, <laughs> oh, man. this flat cap. Um, uh, but I mean, all joking aside, I really like Stefan Baumgart and I like the football that they played and, and Dortmund, I feel like we're very clever on the day. Yeah. You know, they kind of, like you said, they reversed 
the situation. You know, they let Köln be the aggressor. But well, as Macron... Hold up. <laughs> but Because Dortmund did have those two minutes of yes. counter-pressing. And yes, then, according to Rose Hazard, ran out of steam. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But the the thing that Marco Rose and Baumi both said <laughs> was, Köln may have shot a lot. In fact, Köln shot 20 times versus Dortmund's eight times. But Dortmund and Köln had the same amount of shots on target. So they shot a lot, but they didn't really create a ton of quality chances. In fact, from an XG standpoint... Dortmund had 1.3, Köln had 1.4, and again, Köln took 20 shots to get to 1.4, and Dortmund took 8 shots to get to 1.3. So that, to me, that's kind of like when optically, optically, yes, Köln were the more dominant side, but if you don't do anything with it, and how often have we had that with Dortmund, like you said, I mean, think of... Uh, you know, like an Augsburg game <laughs> or, or, so, or Köln last season, <laughs> you know, where optically you are the better side. You've got more possession. You're uh, winning in the right parts of the pitch. You're taking a lot of shots, but really memorable goal scoring chances are few and far between. And then the question is, well, did you do enough to deserve to win? And obviously they didn't. I mean, Stefan Baumgart said, yeah, we were good in all statistics, except for the one that actually matters, which is goals, you know, and it really doesn't help you if you have a lot of shots, a lot of possession, you don't score goals. Um, and that's a lesson that Dortmund have learned over the years. And, I, you know, I mean, I'm pleased from this, from the standpoint of Dortmund won a difficult game during a very difficult start of the season, which is crazy to say, given that they're only one point behind Bayern in second place. But it's really difficult. It's only going to get more difficult as we talk about uh, yet another fullback injury um, after the Ajax match. You know, which it's, actually it's such a downer now, got, especially when we yeah. talk about the Cologne game, because Marius yeah. Wolf was fantastic against Cologne. You know? I, yeah, and, and it seems like he picked up the knock that knocked him out of the Ajax game already in Köln, but Marco Rosa doesn't have the options to rotate too much right now. No, and I think the Ajax game with Felix Paslak on really showed that uh, he's not that big of an option, you know? And, I mean, who would have thought that Marius Wolf was going to play left wing back or left fullback for Dortmund and actually do a good job? I remember here me sitting here at the start of the season saying that um, I would personally prefer if we get rid of Marius Wolf, but in the same breath, I think I uttered that Dortmund will need Marius Wolf because I've predicted an injury malaise. I think that was not hard to predict considering the schedules of uh, European tournaments and South American tournaments and all that kind of stuff that uh, footballers uh, in general would be stretched very thin. And Dortmund do, historically, I feel like, have a lot of problems with muscular injuries. So uh, why would this be any different? And uh, if the circumstances are as they are, um, I feel like we're going to have to deal with more with that. And uh, yeah, we're, we've been hit very hard. And uh, Marius Wolf going down is sort of, you know, it's... It, it's terrible because it, it feels like the, uh, the the last 
column that gave you stability on the fullback position has now gone down too. And uh, it's, yeah, it, it, it's sad because in, in the context of the Cologne game, you just want to rave about Marius Wolf and his effort and how he is giving Dortmund so much stability. And even then, on top of it, you know, he, he makes breakthrough runs and uh, it should have been a nice assist for him. But Marco Reus, for some reason, whiffed or maybe got deflected, I'm not entirely sure, but um, it was an amazing uh, effort by Wolf to break down on the, or break through rather on the left side and uh, feed the ball into into Royce. You know, that, that was, uh, I've heard people call it a world-class move. I don't know about that, but it was darn good. And uh, now that we have to sit here and, you know, talk about this injury, you know, I, I think today was said that he will return uh, sometime in November, but uh, I guess it's more toward the end of November. And also, can you ever be really sure with what Dortmund predict in terms of muscle injury ETAs? I'm not entirely sure either about that. But uh, nevertheless, uh, kudos to Marius Wolf to, you know, playing the way he played to that point and helping Dortmund secure another three points. And uh, people who follow me on Twitter will probably have seen the chart I posted. But nevertheless... Um, you know, after 10 match days, I uh, took the liberty and, and looked at uh, the same fixtures Dortmund have played so far and compared them with last season because I kind of felt like uh, Dortmund are getting a lot of points in, in games that they uh, didn't do so last season. And uh, that's exactly true because Dortmund right now have 24 points after 10 match days. Just so you know, last season after 10 match days, they had 19 points. So already uh, five point plus, but I think what's what's uh, more interesting is that uh, Frankfurt at home, Dortmund had three points this season, obviously, and zero points last season. Freiburg away, you know, both were goose eggs, and then Hoffenheim one point last season, three points this season. Leverkusen away zero points last season, three points this season. Union at home. Both times three points. Gladbach away, both times zero points. And then Augsburg at home, both times three. Mainz last season at home, uh, one point because that was a draw and three points this season. And Bielefeld away, also three points twice. And then of course, the latest difference makers, Cologne at home, where we lost last season and won this season. And this amounts to a difference of 13 points in these particular fixtures because last season Dortmund got from the exact schedule that uh, they played right now 11 points. So um, I know we're sitting here often and, and talking about uh, Dortmund having to improve in, in general and you know how their pressing will improve and how this and that and everything will improve. Um, but obviously we are also sitting often here and bitch about uh, games where they should have gotten a result but didn't. And uh, especially those games that I just listed through last season, I feel like there were a lot of games where Dortmund absolutely should have gotten a point or three or whatnot and uh, did not. And so they're doing this season at least uh, for, for this particular list of fixtures. And Matthias, let me just tell you uh, how relieved I am that they're doing that. You know, I don't know where this will all lead to. Maybe they will still now collapse in, in the finishing stretches of the Hinrunde. I don't know. But uh, having these 24 points is worth a lot right now because um, I think we have now a nine-point gap on Leipzig, right? 
and uh, it, it just it just uh, feels really good to to at least for now have the feeling that at least Champions League qualification is safe. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about that these are the types of fixtures that if you want to win titles, you have to win. Right. And over the last couple of seasons, these are exactly the fixtures where Dortmund would stumble. Um, you know, Bayern matches are one thing, but Köln, Augsburg... Uh, Hoffenheim, you know, those are those are really the difference makers. Those are the ones that Bayern coast through, and that at the end usually make up the difference to the to whoever it is that is trailing them. And over the last ten years, more often than not, it's been uh, Borussia Dortmund. And I don't know, like you said, where this is going to lead to at the end of the season because the rest of the Hinrunde is going to be damn hard simply because of all the injuries and there's a shortened winter break uh, because of some crappy tournament that's happening next year. And, uh, you know, it's a truncated season with more matches to play. And that does not favor teams like Dortmund. However, somehow they're getting through. And that's really how we need to look at this. And that's the one thing I always poke fun at at Borussia Dortmund fandom on Twitter because it's Twitter and it's not a real place. <laughs> um, but that reactionary aspect to games, it's like, you know, this is these are the games that Dortmund over the last years has usually lost. And when it comes to muscle injuries, that is an unfortunate side effect of playing a more aggressive style of football. Um, you know, as they do under Marco Rose, Jürgen Klopp sides are, whether it was at Dortmund or even at Liverpool, are famous for muscular injuries at times. Um, it's it's something that kind of comes with the territory. The question, of course, then comes down to squad depth and so on. And it's really unfortunate when it, it hits an entire subsection of your squad, i.e. fullbacks, all of them, <laughs> you know, except Felix, pa Felix Paslak, who doesn't count. And that's that's the issue because you look at the next match. Okay, you put Togan Azad at left back or left wing back. Okay, good. Um, Thomas Meunier at right wing back. But all these players, you are asking them to basically have to play 90 minutes because who's your backup that you trust enough to go out there and work? Now, granted, uh, Hummels is well-rested now for the Leipzig game. <laughs> Um, but Marco Rosa talked about it post-Ajax. He said, you know, the problem we have isn't just injuries and all that, but then you have to play 60 minutes against an Ajax side with one man less, which means you have to run more and work more. And that essentially attributed to the Marius Wolf injury. You know, I think if they would have played with 11 and maybe taken a one or two goal lead, which was on the cards at that time, then they would have subbed Marius Wolf off after a while because he was carrying a knock. But as things were, they couldn't, and he had to work harder, and bam, there you have the injury. That's unfortunately how these things then happen. Um, I don't necessarily put the blame on the coach or the medical staff. I'm not a doctor or a physical therapist. I do know when you play a more intense style that this tends to happen more. But what's the alternative? You don't. You know, you, you play uh, 
more chill style, people won't have that either. So you're kind of caught in a very difficult situation right now with Dortmund. And that being said, again, they're only a point behind Bayern. And, you know, when you look at the two games that they lost, Freiburg, Freiburg are really good this year again. So that makes that a little bit more, okay, you, you can almost excuse losing to Freiburg. The Gladbach game, that was just a bad day at the office and compounded by a ridiculous red card <laughs> uh, that probably also shouldn't have been given in that situation. So, I mean, I heard somebody, I forget who it was on the commentary. I'm not going to go into it because I do know who it was on the commentary team. Uh, who then, you know, picked at that Gladbach loss, but completely ignored the red card. And you can't ignore that situation. And so, like you, I'm very happy Dortmund won this match. I'm very happy that Köln played the way they did. I think they're on a fantastic road right now uh, yeah. with Steffen Baumgart. And I wish them the best of luck. I like Erste FC Köln. I, I really hope Köln become uh, a force in the Bundesliga to challenge for international places on a consistent basis. And I like Stefan Baumgart. Um, but this was huge for Dortmund um, in that they didn't collapse and they withstood and they triumphed in the end. Um, and I would say not unjustly so, given that they've also lost the exact same type of match before. Yeah, so before we move on to the Ajax game, let's just celebrate the way Dortmund scored those two goals against Cologne because the first one was a long ball by Akanji to <laughs> Julian Brandt, so I guess it was sent with a prayer. But uh, Cologne centre-backs, uh, for whatever reason, did not manage to cover that off, which probably would have been rather easy, but uh, I think the a little flick with the side of his head that Julian Brandt did to Jude Bellingham was uh, really smart. And then uh, what Jude Bellingham does with the... Um, is it a chip? Is it a lob? Sort of cross into the box to Hazard is obviously genius. Uh, yet again, this assist was uh, huge. And uh, yeah, Hazard maybe could have hit it better. I think Sebastian Kiel did say that, that he caught a little bit with the shoulder too, but... Um, you know, the fact that uh, Dortmund even scored two headers in, in this game is uh, quite amazing. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, obviously a fantastic goal. Also, really glad for Hazard because, uh, you know, it was in the 40th minute and uh, Dortmund did not have that many things going for them. And, uh, you know, once again, I think uh, Daniel Malen didn't start. Uh, so Hazard was sort of, you know, your, your main source of... of of shooting next to Royce and uh, I guess Julian Brandt. So um, the the fact that he is in the right position at the right time is encouraging. <laughs> Sadly, uh, our our uh, stopgap striker is needed to play stopgap fullback or wingback these days. So <laughs> it's just funny how how screwed up this all is. But um, yeah, that was obviously really great. And um, then. Uh, you know, I think uh, Marlin and Tickets uh, replaced Pongracic and Hazard in the uh, 58th minute. And uh, Dortmund reverting to a back four actually helped Dortmund in this game. I thought afterwards they, they played a little bit better. And uh, of course, when they won the corner, which I think was just like a poor giveaway from Cologne, uh, that, that felt a bit unnecessary. But oftentimes that's exactly the kind of corner you get punished for. And then uh, the fact that Stefan Tickets made that... Uh, uh, first post run and, and just flicked it into the back of the net obviously 
a dream goal for a player like Stefan Tigges. You know, I I, I think uh, Twitter user and Yellow Warpod listener, uh, you know, talked that they had to think of you <laughs> when he scored because uh, of what you said about Tigges uh, uh, on the last episode. So I'll, I'll leave this one to you to discuss this goal since uh, I've already did the, the one nil. Well, I mean... It was a corner to the near post that he flicked in. Um, that kind of the the standard type of goal you would want in a situation like that when you've got a big body up there. Couldn't uh, helped him along because the, I forget who they put against him in a marking situation, but he was damn near a head shorter, and <laughs> that's just not smart. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Like Others can commit sad pieces too, Matthias. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely helped. He also got blocked off on his run. Listen, my opinion on Stefan Tigges doesn't change. No. Um, you know, he's a second Bundesliga striker at best. He's a 23-year-old playing in the under-23s. Okay? Uh, that doesn't change. Uh, I'm really happy for the kid to score a goal for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga. Undoubtedly so. I wish him all the best of luck. <laughs> um, but that just doesn't change my opinion no. on him as a player. Why would it? Uh, he, he seems like a really nice kid, um, works really, really hard. And this is a dream come true, a dream that most of us Dortmund fans growing up in the region wished we could have fulfilled in our lives. Okay. And that's just a fantastic story. Um, but, but he also killed quite a few counterattacks because he just walked into the offside and wouldn't move out of it. And so the players that were with him had to hold up the ball and that killed the entire momentum um, in the second half when Cohen were pushing for an equalizer. So that, you know, it is what it is. Adult wouldn't win. Uh, I like his work rate. I think he's got a great work rate. It's good that he scored. Uh, I thought Brandt was pretty good on the day. Daniel Mal didn't play because as Marco Reus, uh, Marco Reus, Marco Rose put it in the press conference, he had Flitzer, <laughs> um, which if you don't speak German, that means you had the runs. And if anybody has had the runs, the last thing you want to do is play a competitive football match. <laughs> Because <laughs> at that least someone don't play in white cool. shorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and that would probably also explain why he didn't come on straight away against Ajax and uh, played later in the game, because that's just it's a rough thing to kind of come back from dehydration, all that stuff. So, very happy for Stefan Tigges. I'm looking forward to Erling Holland coming back. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I think his father said today is probably not going to happen before Christmas. So, don't hold your breath. Yeah, he said something like it would be a Christmas Mary. present <laughs> if he gets a game or two in before uh, the winter break. Yeah, yeah. That's unfortunate, obviously, because, uh, boy, would I like to have him for the next game against Leipzig or the game against Bayern because uh, Haaland is always there, always good for a goal uh, or two or three against those teams. So, um, yeah, it's it's really sad to have to make do right now without him. and. Um, yeah, I think now is a good time to actually uh, transition over to the game against Ajax. And, uh, you know, obviously Dortmund did start uh, with uh, Tigges yet again, as, as you just further alluded to, because Marlon was probably still not 100% to start. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought that um, 
the first 27 minutes or so <laughs> i'm not exactly sure which minute it was but i thought that um it was a good game to watch uh there were two good teams on the football field and uh, dortmund slightly were the better team without ajax being uh not dangerous or anything because ajax did have uh a couple of uh dicey moments too and you could see whenever they had the ball they they knew how to uh shifted and moved it quite well. Uh, I think Ajax missed out a couple of switches of play to open up Dortmund a little better, which they did quite well in that first outing. Um, but this time Dortmund were also um, more uh, confident in possession. Maybe that's because they're playing at home. I don't know exactly why, what the factors are, but I'm sure there were adjustments made. You know, I think they uh, quite... Uh, readily use that other game to to look at you know what they are doing wrong and so there were some some adjustments that uh, Dortmund did which weren't major but uh, you know ball distribution was better Jude Bellingham uh, Witzel and, and Brandt I thought had a really good uh, partnership going in midfield and uh, I thought our centre-backs uh, did a quite good job with uh, Hummels, uh, Akanji and, and Pongracic to to move the ball out and to not be uh, caught so easily by Ajax's pressing. So um, I, I think the beginning of the game before that infamous red card um, was really encouraging, and I was really just enjoying watching a Champions League game because this is what you as a football fan, I think, are really just uh, anticipating, you know, because these are big Champions League nights. Ajax, we've discussed it before, are really special team they are a great team and beating them means a lot i think uh so with all that being said um matthias uh i you know being angry about the red card uh is one thing but i'm i'm almost even more angry that like good football has been taken away from me uh not only from a dortmund standpoint just from like a neutral perspective almost yeah, I mean, obviously, I've never shied away from criticizing referees um, because I think when they make colossal, game-changing mistakes, as this was, they need to be called out. And and Michael Oliver, um, that was that was crap. I mean, to be honest, it, it completely ruined the game. It ruined the momentum. Dortmund were for forty minutes, which obviously is then ten minutes longer than. Um, after the Mats, Mats Hummels sending off, were the better side. They produced way more uh, goal-scoring opportunities and shots. Jude Bellingham undeniably should have scored uh, <laughs> with that header on an open goal. Hazard probably um, should have already scored. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that Dortmund should have been up at least a goal already by that time, and then who knows what would have happened. Be that as it may... Um, the encouraging sign that I saw from this is Dortmund did not give up. Uh, they kept on fighting even when Ajax equalized, even when Ajax took the lead. There were still Dortmund opportunities there, which is completely different than when they played in Amsterdam and just capitulated um, for the most part. The XG was much better uh, for for Dortmund in this match. Uh, for Ajax, it was a little bit lower. A little bit more than Dortmund, just because, you know, as uh, Rosa put it, you know, for 60 minutes, Dortmund fought and fought and fought. 
And then you could just tell Ajax just wore them down. Ajax played in 22 crosses. They just wore them down over time and attrition. And then the goals happen, you know, and all three assists came from Anthony, um, who, as Mats Hummels kind of put it, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit, you know, uh, from a technical standpoint, he has everything. Now he just has to learn to be a good sportsman. Yeah, Anthony is an exceptionally gifted footballer, and I'm sure we will see him at a Barcelona or something like that in the future, as tends to happen with Ajax players. But um, I attribute the sending off of Mats Hummels, I will put it at 50-60% with Michael Oliver and the rest with Anthony, because Marco Rosa also acknowledged that, that afterwards, you know, in a foul where... Yeah, it was, you'd call that a, a foul, okay? I mean, it broke up the momentum. Yeah, but Mats Hummels, yellow card. Bare, I mean, maybe maybe even. I don't even know because he barely touched the guy. Remember if when, anything, uh, when the hood got completely shanked against Hoffenheim and was just like, yes. know, something like that ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, you know, Anthony actually stepped on Hummels, which is the funny part. And then Anthony was writhing around on the ground like someone took an axe to his leg. You know, and... Hummels didn't even touch him. If anything, Hummels should be the one rolling around on the ground because he got stepped on on the knee. Um, and that type of theatrical cheating, and that's what it is. That is dirty shithouse cheating that I fucking hate. And I, I hate that so much. And the fact, as Michael Rosa also put it, what about VAR? How could you not go back and look back at that and go... Mm, this isn't really a red card. He barely, if even, touched him. There was no endangering of the player. It was in the middle of the field, so it wasn't a goal scoring, you know, not like last man or anything. It was an absolutely asinine decision that cost Dortmund a chance at three points and a player. To You know, I mean, at least one in Marius Wolf because his injury is a direct correlation to this situation because they just have to work so much harder and he was already carring a knock well, I'm not and because don't so want to say that he might he still might have gotten an injury had maybe gone. i don't think so i don't think so at all i think the injury is absolutely a result of this because of how much harder you have to work when you're one man less against a team of the quality of ajax i believe absolutely this is a, there's a direct correlation between the two um now the problem is also problem not that it's a problem, but Magnus Wolf is a very hardworking player, so he always gives everything. So yeah, he it may have happened anyway, but I this definitely increased the risk exponentially. And then on top of that is, you know, I saw Dalman are going to appeal the ban, the red card against Mats Hummels. Don't know if it's going to be overturned or not. If it's not overturned, they lose him for the uh, extremely important game against Sporting. And so this Michael Oliver may, you know, if if it doesn't get overturned, and, you know, I mean, he, he may have cost Dortmund uh, the Champions League, uh, not the win, but to continue on in the tournament, may have. And that is completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. And if you're going to hold players to a standard and all that, you have to hold referees to a standard. And Michael Oliver failed. He was the worst participant in the game. And uh, it is inexcusable. 
Yeah, I don't know how long Hummels will be out, whether UEFA will withdraw the ban or whether they will give him two just also for the post-game comments because obviously uh, Dortmund, uh, I think, as a whole were really miffed and uh, you could see it and, and hear it on social media and in post-game interviews um, where I, I think Hummels questioned the referee's professionality I think he said something along the lines that uh, it's hard for him to understand how a professional referee can come up with such a decision. And I think in the same breath, you know, follow up with, uh, I hope he is a professional. And uh, yeah, so I, I do trust Pongo Chichina Kanji uh, to handle the situation. But that being said, obviously, these games now are very important. I think Dortmund, when they, if they beat Sporting, uh, they will be qualified. Uh, so if they win in Lisbon, but obviously you, you don't know uh, if, if you can manage that. Obviously Sporting just uh, had a couple good results against Besiktas. So yeah, there's that. And yeah, overall, it, it, it's just annoying. You know, uh, I'm not entirely sure how VAR misses that one too. You know, I like... You can you can clearly see it's not a red card decision and this needs to be re reviewed by the referee himself where he can mull over his own decision rather than, uh, you know, just the assistant referees checking and then sort of saying, ah, it's not a 100% wrong decision, you know, not that kind of nonsense. And uh, yeah, at least uh, a couple of minutes later, he, he, he did see the touch uh, on, on Bellingham in the box uh when when he went back to the monitor so um yeah i don't know about human tears but uh, as long as it's not about an offside decision i by now usually prefer if referees actually go to the review station themselves and take a look at it so also we as tv viewers at least and i think in the stadium you should also get the uh pictures uh, that are on the var monitor on the on the, the video screens and uh, obviously, even better if you could also hear the communication between uh, video assistant referees and the referee themselves. So uh, if we could all of that, that'd be very sweet. Uh, I know it's technically doable, but uh, sadly... Um, they do it in rugby. Yeah. They do it in the NFL. I mean, they don't do the... You don't hear the communication in the NFL, but you can... You witness everything that they see. Um, and in rugby, of course, you actually hear the communication. You you hear the the referee the entire time, even in explaining his calls to the players themselves, which is really interesting because you'd think there'd be way more uh, colorful language used on the rugby pitch, but it's really not. Um, which that may be a way to clean up some of the language in in football too. Uh, if everybody knows that everyone's listening all the time, maybe that makes you a little more self-conscious on the way you speak with your fellow humans. Um, but no, I agree. I, that lack of transparency, and I agree with you, if, unless offside, because obviously there's a line correlation, there's mathematic equation that kind of comes into that. But anything that has to do with a penalty, a sending off, anything like that, yeah, the referee should, if there's a question, if VAR goes, mm, you know, Maybe you should take another look at this. I think that should always be the default reaction somehow. I mean, there are obviously those situations that are just glass, I mean, totally clear. <laughs> glass clear. Um, glass clear. Yeah, glass clear. German, German English there. Um, 
you know, and, and that's kind of like, okay, for what do you slow down the game? What do you not? How do you, how do you do that or not? And maybe that's where you have to look at a challenge system, uh, from coaches. I don't think that's a problem to do that. That would have been one of those situations where Michael Rosa would have thrown the red flag, so to speak. Yeah, but they uh, would have, they, they did review yeah. the whole play. So they I did. don't know how much the they challenge did. would have uh, changed, to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, it would have forced uh, Michael Oliver to go look at it. Okay, and and that's the thing, you know, if you th if you would ask for a challenge, you have to go and take a look at it, and that's Michael was even said. He said, "I don't understand in a situation like that because the review has taken a long time that the referee himself doesn't go, hey, you know what? Let me take another look at this." But obviously, ego plays into this, and referees are big ego people. That's just nature. They kind of have to yeah, be. Yeah, I was going to say they, they must be. Um, if you're if you're getting yelled at all the time by millionaires, you kind of got to have to to quote Diego Simeone. You need some cojones. And in that case, you know maybe he just doesn't think he's fallible. I don't know. Um, but it's it's frustrating to say the least. I was surprised that they gave the penalty. Not because it was a penalty or it wasn't a penalty. It was clearly a penalty because he clipped Bellingham's foot and that, you could clearly see, stopped him from taking a shot when he could have. And that is a penalty. Um, I'm just surprised. <laughs> it, it took so long to get there and then he looked at it for so long. I was like, Dalton are just going to get completely hosed today. Completely hosed. And that, that was a little bit of redemption, but not really because, you know, to play against a team of the quality of Ajax with 10 men for 60 minutes, that's an impossible task. Yeah, it would have been amazing had Dortmund come away with a point, to be honest. But I just thought as time would go on, you know, they, they would just turn a screw so many times at some, at some point Dortmund would buckle. And obviously it's annoying that uh, the goals were sort of half-year crosses almost. You know, the the first one, I think Munir just flicked it onto Tadic. It's just unlucky. And, uh, yeah, the second one is uh, also, you know, you just don't have the personnel anymore to really close down uh, Anthony in, in that situation. And uh, you don't really, I don't, I don't know about you, but at least I'm not really expecting that sort of stuff from Paslak and Ansgar Knopf, to be honest. You know, at, at, at this point... I think you just want to, uh, you know, manage uh, the 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 weight a little bit. You know, I think he took Royce off after 76 minutes and, uh, you know, he brought on Marlon on and, uh, yeah, Paslak obviously had to replace Wolf. Um, yeah. Uh, what's more to say about this game other than it's it's a pity and uh, I, I still think that Dortmund will qualify um, but obviously now the task is a little harder and you will hope that uh, Ajax, when they play against Sporting, that they uh, will not just play some C squad and, uh, you know, don't care about it. But obviously Dortmund do have this game against Sporting now, which uh, will uh, be very <laughs> important and very, uh, yeah, finally uh, to, to, to me I, I I don't know about you but I think uh, you know if Dortmund get a draw against Sporting that already would be good enough if they then beat Besiktas at home so um, you know I, I, I think they, they still have uh, 
some they can still afford some slippage but nevertheless um yeah it's it's disappointing just because also after that 4-0 loss in Amsterdam you would have just really loved to see Dortmund rally back uh to a draw or win at home which I think was feasible as well absolutely uh one little silver lining uh Dan Aksasagadu was on the bench for Dortmund right so that was that was nice to see as was Yusufa Mokuko but at the same time, you look at the fact that you also had a bench that had Ansgar Knauf and Tobias Raschel on there. Nothing against them, but, you know, they're second team players and Stefan Tigges. You know, I mean, it's that's how thin things are for Dortmund right now. You know, but um, so. one final thought. I actually thought that Tigges had a, had a really good game and he did, he did. He did the job he had to do, basically, all the runs he was making. Um, you know, I, I I thought I thought he did that well. You know, you obviously grade him on the Stefan Tigges curve, um, but I I think that uh, considering the, the the player he is and uh, what's available to him, I, I I thought he he played a fantastic game because let's face it, yes. you you play a home game in the Champions League and you are uh, Stefan Tigges, <laughs> who is uh, as he said uh, part of the under twenty three squad. Usually, we basically are a third or second division player. Uh, probably still have some upside, uh, you know, but uh, nevertheless, uh, these are uh, or can be intimidating moments. So, um, you know, keeping us set and, uh, you know, being baited in some weird situations. I, I thought he, he did, he did all right. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, just happy that we have these little side stories and subplots, if you will, um, that warm your heart while, uh, obviously that Hummel's red card, uh, you know, was ice cold. <laughs> So, yeah, with that, I think we can now look ahead uh, because before we play uh, against Sporting, Dortmund will have to deal with Leipzig and then Stuttgart. So it's going to be, uh, you know, quite interesting. Uh, I think in between, though, is an international break as well. So maybe hopefully afterwards um, there uh, can be some... uh, players returning from injury. I don't know what uh, the sitch is with Girena or Moda Hood. Maybe we'll hear about that tomorrow at the news conference. I don't know. But in the ne- meantime, Matthias, um, RB Leipzig, even though they rallied back to uh, 2-2 Dragons PSG, have uh, struggled this season. Um, they are still in the cup, but they are not going to be uh, featuring in a round of 16 of the Champions League. And who knows whether they will be featuring in next year's edition of the Champions League because right now they're in 8th and as I previously said, they are 9 points behind Dortmund. So, um, yeah, Jesse Marsh uh, has a lot of problems on uh, his hand. Obviously, uh, they lost Sabitzer, <laughs> Nagelsmann and uh, Upamecano all to Bayern Munich. So a bit of uh, turmoil uh, at uh, Rasenball. So, um, yeah, obviously, I think they're, you know, you can't really call it a a revenge game because a cup final loss is nothing you can make up for in the Bundesliga. But nevertheless, uh, since Dortmund have had Leipzig's number for so long, I think uh, they are uh, itching to get something on the board against Dortmund. And they really do must if you look at uh, the point situation. Um, You know, if they lose, they're going to be uh, off by 12 points. So yeah, um, it's it's very much what we call in Germany a six point spiel, a six point game uh, between two sort of rivals, um, you know, that sort of 
remains to be seen how how the rest of Leipzig's season goes. But um, yeah, I don't want to talk too much because uh, you are also still here to say stuff. <laughs> so Matthias, uh, what can we make uh, of this Leipzig game going into um, or or limping into this match? Well, I mean, I think limping is the right term. I mean, they drew one all against um, a, I would say now pretty mediocre Eintracht Frankfurt side. Uh, that story. itself is 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 a bit in in crisis. You know, to to expect Leipzig to continue um, post Nagelsmann at the same rate. I mean, look at Hoffenheim; they fell off. Because Nagelsmann left and key players left. Leipzig, Nagelsmann leaves and key players leave, you know, mainly here defense. Uh, and then Sörlot is actually having a decent season. He's not scoring a ton of goals for uh, Real Sociedad, but he's having a good season there uh, with uh, a player that Dortmund could really use right now, Alexander Isak. <laughs> um, and so who is Jesse Marsh and company looking at to rely on i mean they still have danny olmo um they've they you know they started paulson in the last match they've got silva i mean it's it's still a good side but it is nowhere near the side that let's be honest in tezic owned the last season i mean owned rb leipzig <laughs> and that's just freaking amazing because blech RB Leipzig. The city's actually kind of nice. Um, but Leipzig are having a rebuilding season. I think that's what's uh, saving Jesse Marsh's job right now after 10 games. Of course, they've got 15 points. They are uh, two points off of Champions League. They need to get much closer to that for him to keep his job because RB Leipzig without Champions League football, I don't think that will be accepted for for a season. No, I think so, I think in fact this could be a game for Marsh that if he loses to Dortmund, he might be gone. I don't know. It could be I don't think. Game. I don't know. I might. Be I wrong. don't think. No, that yeah, Van Bommel is on the market. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> One can only hope, right? Um, no, I think his his uh, the, the match that could really prove a death nail for Jesse Marsh is actually the week after that when they take on Hoffenheim, uh, right. who are right next to them in the table. Can't so this is a very no, 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 no. I mean, this even goes beyond El Plastico at this point. Uh, Leipzig against Hoffenheim. But this is, but but the problem for Dortmund, of course, is they're still dealing with an injury crisis. So uh, you'll have a very well-rested Mats Hummels. So at least that. Odds are you're going to have to play Hazard as left wing back and uh, Meunier as right wing back because you just, I'm sorry, Felix Paslak. I like Felix Paslak. I really do. I think he's a he seems like a nice guy. He really works really hard, way too hard at times because you saw that against Köln, he would just overrun his his position <laughs> time and time again. I mean, he's one of the most he's one of the easiest players to get around. I mean, in his prime, Ian Robin would have eaten him for lunch because Paslak just blows past the attacker because he's just so eager to get there. Um, and which is fine on the one hand, at least he's willing, but on the other hand, it doesn't really help you if you're then completely out of position and out of shape. So you cannot start him against Leipzig because you will lose. Um, 
And and so you're just asking the same core of players to put in another 90-minute shift. Yeah, and this um, game is not exactly going to be a walk in the park either. No, no, it's going to be high intensity. It's going to be a lot going on. It, you know, you can't even... I mean, even in the midfield, in center midfield, you can't take out Bellingham or Witze because who are you going to play there instead? Yeah, and Bellingham is already... Tobi Raschel? Yeah, and Bellingham is already walking or, or, or running with uh, some sort of... Uh, I don't know what it is around his knee, some sort of sleeve or so. You know, he's already knee problem. He already has knee problems, and he got a knock. Who knows uh, if he's even going to be available? To be honest, and uh, we've totally forgot to mention so far how amazing he has been. But uh, that's almost a standard right now. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, wish he would be a little bit better at headers toward open nets. But uh, yeah. otherwise, I don't really have many gripes, and obviously, he would be once again. Uh, instrumental against Leipzig but I'm not quite sure since we're already sort of uh, there hanging on by the skin of our teeth whether it will be enough against Leipzig as well because right now we're houdining ourselves if you will to results but I'm not entirely sure uh, how this one will go so um, you know if you look at the starting 11 that they played against uh, PSG for example you just said they have Andre Silva who scored outscored Erling Haaland last season. You have Emil Forsberg, who uh, is, you know, to me, pretty much a Bundesliga all-star, if you will, and uh, who is maybe not as happy to still be at Leipzig since he wanted to force a move. I think Nkunku is a terrific player, a bit wasteful every now and then, but uh, he is explosive, he is quick, he's technically gifted, and uh, he... Uh, is a headache for defenders, especially the likes of Mats Hummels. I think he would prefer more of a bulkier uh, opponent. And I think the Konrad Leiner and Tyler Adams midfield, for example, is also a really good combination. I really do rate Tyler Adams, even though against Dortmund uh, in the past he is, uh, yeah, I don't know, not played his best. Angelino is a good fullback. We all know that. And Mokiele also on the other side. So um, the the only question marks are maybe behind Guardiola, uh, Simakan, and uh, Willy Orban, who is not getting any younger. And uh, yeah, Peter Gulashi obviously is a really good goalkeeper, uh, easily making without thinking about it my top four in the Bundesliga. You know, um, so this is still um a very decent team, and uh, you know if you have players like Danny Olmo who can come on who uh is also a terrific player. Um, You know, talk about rebuild all you want. I just don't think necessarily looking at the players they have uh, at their disposals these days, it, it really should be a rebuild. I think they should con- comfortably be in the top four position right now. They should be, well, maybe Freiburg are or Mainz or Union Berlin or so and uh, not where Leipzig are. So um, this comes just down to... um. I actually don't know what exactly it did come down to. I I, I guess against uh, Frankfurt, they were very unlucky. Uh, this is a game that they absolutely should have won and they had uh, massive chances for it. I mean, the XG itself is 2.9 compared to Frankfurt 0.5. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, this one got out of hand. They had a one-all draw against Freiburg where they dropped points. They had a one-all draw against Cologne where Cologne really played well. Uh, I, I remember watching that game. Obviously, they got shellacked by Bayern, as they always are. Um, that is one loss in the other El Plastico against Wolfsburg. But, you know, they did start strong um, against Stuttgart, a 4-0 win, uh, 4-0 win, where they bounced back from this um, 
interesting 1-0 loss against Mainz on the first match day. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a weird season for Leipzig, but I I think they should be doing so much better than they are. And well, I think... Well, you hit the nail on the head, Stefan. Is they they create the chances, but they are not scoring them. I mean... Andre Silva is a proven goal scorer, but he's kind of off this season. And then once you get beyond him, you've got a lot of wasteful strikers and wasteful attacking players. And Kuku, like you said, I mean, he's he's wasteful. Yusuf Paulson has never been a big goal scorer since like the Dritte Liga. And even then, he wasn't a great goal scorer. That wasn't his job. His job was to hold up the ball. He's the Stefan Tigges of RB Leipzig. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to well, I'd say he's probably a little better than yes, Stefan Tigges, but, but, you know, he would hold up the ball job so that Timo Vanna, yeah, I mean, Timo Vanna could make the runs off of him. And in the system they're playing right now, there's just nobody to run off of him. Um, you know, and Andre Silva comes in there, and if he would play a single striker with Andre Silva, Andre Silva also needs a, a, a true striking partner. And that's, I think that's where the problem is. Uh, I mean, you have a lot of creative players. It's not unlike Dortmund right now. You've got plenty of creative players in the attacking third, so to speak. Um, but then out and out goal scores, you know, yeah, you have Andre Silva, but he's off. And if you're off, mm, then then you've got a problem. And uh, you've got no nobody really behind that. Uh, and, and Dalton are in a similar position. You have plenty of people who can create great scoring opportunities, but then who is it going to be that's actually going to put the ball in the back of the net? And, you know, I think there's a disconnect with maybe Jesse Marsh's formation and system uh, just because there's a lack of consistency and, again, the wastefulness. Now, I don't need them to become highly efficient next this coming weekend. <laughs> uh, that would be horrible timing from Dalton's... Um, position i think you you mark their weakness very clearly it's defense how can it not be after you lose a exceptionally good defensive unit um uh, and and Willi Orban, of course is still there but like you said he's not getting any younger the other two i don't really value they're definitely a step down from where leipzig were the last few seasons defensively Again, you can't really say, well, if Holland were there, it was a different game. Of course it is, because I think he would dominate. He would, he would dominate that team defensive, their defensive uh, backline. But you don't have that. So what are you going to do? I would hope that Daniel Malin can start. I think you need it, because if you're, you know, if it's going to be Tigges and Royce, I don't, I don't know if that's going to work per se. Tigges, again, the nice thing is he's a big body, at least, uh, that can tie up a defender. But um, I'll be honest. I want to see Marlin in this position. I, I be, yes. because I think you want to run at uh, Leipzig's defense. Now saying that they uh, did a step down is, is uh, defensively is probably correct. But uh, at the same time, they've also only conceded ten goals. So <laughs> um, that's that's tied with Mainz and Bayern uh, for second place behind Freiburg, who have only conceded seven. In comparison, Dortmund have uh, leaked fifteen goals so far. So. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I don't know. It's uh, maybe it's more wishful thinking, but I really just want to see Marlon break his Bundesliga duck. And usually, Leipzig are a team that offer the kind of space for, especially a, a player that's strong on the transition that Marlon definitely is. Um, I, I'm just hoping that that he can 
make the correct runs and then just have have luck with his finishing. I mean, we could we did see against Sporting uh, the sort of goals he can score, and he has come close several times in in the recent games where he was maybe a, a step too far away from a cross or so. Um, I I just feel like it's it's time now. It's beyond time actually. So um, yeah, now would be a really good day for him to to score in the Bundesliga and um you know it's I also don't really want to be the, the slump buster for Leipzig even though Dortmund are not doing really well and if they would lose this game which probably will be a very close affair it's not going to surprise me whatsoever but uh still I really I'm desperate for for another W here <laughs> I know it's it's asking a lot Dortmund are on a Bundesliga winning streak of four games I think but oh man, <laughs> I just desperately want to win and and beat yeah, Leipzig and, and 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 sort of kick them further down the well. And of course, you know, I mean, to take another German translation, they're they're walking on their gums, right? <laughs> you know, laufen auf dem Zahnfleisch, Borussia Dortmund. They're like they're in their last breath right now, and they just don't have the depth right now. So many injuries. I would like I would like to see Rainer Renier start. I, I think you would need to you need to give some player a break somewhere. And maybe that player is is Julian Brandt to start with. And you put in Rigny for him. Or you say, uh, because Togan Azad has to move to the left wing back or fullback position, depending on the formation mm, you throw Hazard, up there. He's not even co- uh, fully fit and he has to like play fullback exactly. now. I know. But who I mean, I would rather have him there than than Felix Paslak. Yeah. I mean, maybe you throw in Yusufa Mukoko. I don't know how, how fit far is he, he is. Yeah, maybe they would just bench fillers because in Champions League you can basically yeah. just stack everyone on there. You know, they, they, the, the, what was they explained with Zagadou over the international break? They're trying to have a test match with the under-23 so he can get some minutes. So, uh, you know, even though he was uh, theoretically on the bench, uh, it would have still been a surprise had he uh, featured in any way or form. Yeah, it's just it's just a very, very difficult situation for Borussia Dortmund right now. And and it sounds like we're making excuses uh for for our pick, which it seems like we're like desperately trying to not give yet. Um but I mean it's just it's just bad uh for Dortmund's situation. I mean, maybe you can throw in Ansgar Knauf if you're gonna look at uh speed in transition. Uh, but he definitely doesn't seem to be as favored under Marco Rose as he was under Edin Terzic or Lucien Favre. Um, you know, I mean, I'm looking at the the line, the, the, the possible players that Dalton have at their disposal, and it's pretty thin. I mean, uh, yeah, you've mm, there's <laughs> there's just not not much there. I mean, you've got, I think Koulibaly is back from his injury, but he's 18. He hasn't he's even never played. <laughs> he's never played. You know, what else do you have there? Uh, <laughs> Abdullah Kamara, 16 year old who's never played. Uh, Toby Raschel, who's not good enough. Uh, Göktan Gupitz, who is another youth or under 23 player who's never played. Uh, you know, we always say Tobi Tobi Rashel kind of as a joke, but he's not a Bundesliga caliber player. So I mean, it's like, what 
what you got? There's just nobody left for Dortmund to play in central midfield. So it's going to be Witzel, Bellingham, and Renier or Brandt. Pretty much. You know, and then you're gonna you're gonna throw an attacking trio, however you form that trio as two strikers or one behind, depending on the formation. You're gonna have what mine probably Tegas and Royce, because you don't have anybody else to put up there. Maybe on Scott Knauf, though doubtful, and then you're gonna put Hazard and Meunier at the fullbacks and hope they can last ninety minutes. Probably can, so you're gonna see Felix Paslak. And maybe, maybe they go back four and throw in Pongracic as a fullback. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, Marco Rosa has a difficult task right now in managing a squad that's playing every three, four days. That's incredibly thin with high expectations. I do not envy him in that regard right now. Yeah, it's a high-profile game. Uh, I haven't checked, but I, my assumption is it's it's the the later kickoff on the Saturday. Uh, I don't know if, is. if you can confirm that. So um, yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really uh, miffed that uh, this is the the state we're going into this game and. Um, yeah, Leipzig will have to sort of play for their lives, really, because if they um, mess this one up too, there they might be really far behind, and uh, I don't know if they can afford to play catch up um, over over the Rückrunde uh, or whatnot. So yeah, we, we'll see how this game goes, um, but uh, I do think it's prediction time, and I'm still, even though it's an away game and it's a difficult affair. I'm still uh, believing in in Dortmund. I think they will win it two to one. And uh, one factor of why Dortmund are getting maybe thirteen plus points out of the games uh, they they didn't so far last season um, is also Gregor Kobel. I I think uh, this is a factor that uh, hasn't been mentioned yet yet on this episode. Um, but uh, I just want to reiterate um, that he's a great goalkeeper and that he is saving a lot of points for Dortmund this season. Uh, you know, we haven't even uh, <laughs> talked about the save that sent him against the goalpost again because Pongracic screwed up. And uh, Matthias, I think that's a really good segue because there's something you wanted to talk about because uh, I think he was on some Twitch stream and aired some dirty laundry to what was booked. Now, I only saw the push notification this morning on my phone and I was really busy so far. We're actually recording later because I've been so busy for once. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what has been going on. And so you have to fill in the blanks and just uh, treat me like a, a person who has never heard of it because I sort of don't. Yeah, it kind of surprised me. I just... You know, it popped up um, on on my on my phone, and I went, "What? What's this?" You know, Marcel Schäfer uh, says, you know, something about Dortmund player and wanting more professionalism. And I'm like, "Okay." And for those who don't know, Marcel Schäfer is the sporting director at VfL Wolfsburg. Obviously, Marin Pongracic is on loan to Dortmund from Wolfsburg for the season. He does apparently have a nine million euro buyout clause. Which Marcel Schäfer said, you know, Dortmund can activate it at any time. <laughs> Which was kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But uh, Pongracic went on Twitch on a stream. I don't know if it was his stream no, or somebody else's stream. I don't know. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he kind of let it all out about Wolfsburg, saying, you know, that Wolfsburg 
ruined a move for him that he wanted to leave, a permanent deal, and Voicebook, it didn't happen, uh, that he wanted to, quote-unquote, go after Mark van Bommel. Uh, he didn't seemingly elaborate why, but I think just obviously it didn't fit. But that doesn't seem to be a Pongracic specific issue with van Bommel. No, that we seems all to wanted to go after van Bommel at some point. Yeah. We all um, have been there. Because it's, it's Mark van Bommel. <laughs> Um, and obviously Masa Schäfer had to react to this because a player that is contracted to VfL Wolfsburg being negative on a public forum such as Twitch about his parent club, you know, he says, listen, you know, basically paraphrasing here. I mean, there, there are issues that uh, VfL Wolfsburg looked at and basically there's a reason why they were okay to let him go out on loan. Uh, it seems there were attitude issues uh, and uh, that that reflected poorly on Pongracic. Dortmund, of course, took him because they needed a player because of injuries and fixture congestion. And, you know, again, Schaefer saying, you know, he's got a 9 million euro buyout clause that Dortmund can activate at any time. And... The question, and, and he also urged Pongracic to worry less about what did or didn't happen in the past and focus a little bit more on playing consistently well for Borussia Dortmund in the meantime. <laughs> and he also alluded to the fact that Dortmund is probably also looking at the stream and how the player acted. That probably also isn't a positive reflection on Pongracic. And I'll be honest, I agree with Masa Shefa. Um, this You don't do this. It is immature. It shows a complete lack of professionalism. You don't go on a public forum like Twitch in a stream and Period. bitch about your employer. <laughs> you know, I mean, first of all, you shouldn't go on there anyway if you're a professional footballer because Twitch is like, it's a live stream version of Twitter. I mean, it's just a cesspool of shit. But when it comes to these kind of chatty things and he, he aired dirty laundry about the team that is still his employer in Fallfeld Wolfsburg. And this is the kind of stuff <laughs> that Watzke, Zork and company do not like. They don't like this. So if Pongericic thinks that this is his way of maybe getting a move out of Wolfsburg, it's not a way of getting himself a move permanently to Borussia Dortmund because Dortmund have had the immature, unprofessional player and it never ends well. And I don't think Dortmund want to have anything to do with that anymore. And as such, I hope he'll learn out of this because he was in the wrong. He shouldn't have done this. It was I don't care what Wolfsburg did or didn't do. You don't do this as a professional, whether it's an athlete or... Or someone like you and me, Stefan, you don't go on Twitch and complain about your employer on a public forum and think it'll be okay. You just don't do that. That's stuff, and Masa Shifa said, this is the kind of stuff you would think you would discuss internally. And he's correct. He's completely correct. Pongracic, I think, was completely out of line. He may not have been wrong in the stuff he said, but he shouldn't have done it on Twitch, in my opinion. So you're saying it's going to be harder now because of this uh, force to get a nice player uh, to come on here as our gift for the 400 episode? <laughs> well, we're not Twitch and we can edit. Right. You know, I mean, right. that's the thing about a live stream. There's no editing. And and it just is what goes out there. And, and 
You know, uh, it's about being selective and who you talk to and the questions you ask and so on. But um, professional athletes, professional players, they won't necessarily do what he did and said, ba- say basically, I wanted, to, I wanted to beat the shit out of my coach. You know, I mean, that's not, you don't do that. No. I mean, I'm sorry. No. That's, the, you know, you can think that. I mean, it's Mark van Bommel, and I totally understand the urge to want to do that. But you don't publicly say that if you're a professional employed by that club. Yeah, it's... Even a, if you're saying it after the coach got fired. Right. Eh, it's poor form. Yeah, also, he's still in the midst of his career, and somehow you might still cross paths with Van Bommel. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just awkward and uh, weird. If there's a sliver of a silver lining we can take away from that is maybe that Pongracic feels quite comfortable at Dortmund right now. Uh, <laughs> you said yourself maybe it was a little bit counterproductive, um, but, uh, you know, I I feel like a player who was probably heading back to Wolfsburg or I had the feeling that who he was going to ha- head back to Wolfsburg probably wouldn't have said all these things. So um, No, no. I mean, and, and Schäfer said, you know, we'll, we will... Pos- we'll look at doing something, you know, wh- whatever the hell that means. If that means finding the player, if that means dissolving his contract, I don't know what that exactly means, uh, what repercussions there would be. But no, I mean, he's probably not going to play for Wolfsburg again. Whether he plays for Borussia Dortmund after the season, I mean, that that really depends on how the season goes. It depends on how um, Danaxa Zagadou does right. uh, coming back. Because if he comes back and plays back to his old peak form, well, then, no, there's no real room for Pongracic. But the problem is, of course, Zagadou is incredibly injury-prone. So well, I, it'll just have to be a wait to be seen. And there are a few other young players that Dortmund have right. from PSG, which PSG is now the Borussia Dortmund Academy, <laughs> um, that we'll have to wait and see uh, how they develop. Yeah, there are a lot of factors in the air. But, uh, you know, from, from, from my perspective, at least now, I think 9 million might be a steal, so you might just do it one way or another, even if you just can sell him on then later from a business standpoint. But uh you know, as a as a sort of uh, slot in player, if you will, as your third, fourth option or so, especially if you want to play with a back four, uh, back five and you need three center backs. Um yeah, I'm I'm okay if he sticks around longer and don't want to sign him permanently. Uh because everything else is a bit of a question mark. A, because of Hummels' health, because of Zagadou's health. Uh, you don't know how long a Kanji will be in Dortmund. Um, so, um, yeah. <laughs> also, I think it's like uh, the end of the world for him now that he said the things he said. Maybe he's just a little bit too honest and naive. I don't know. But uh, I also haven't seen the Twitch stream yet or really read about it. So um, I, I have to shape my opinion uh, maybe later today. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's not going to de- define the entirety of Marin Pongracic for me. Um, I've, you know, the interviews otherwise I've seen and heard with him. Um, he s- seems like a likable guy to me. So, um, you know, for what it's worth, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think so far he's playing, playing well, but obviously, um, you know, if he, if he makes more mistakes uh, as he did in the previous two Bundesliga games, uh, I don't think Gregor Kobel will survive. So, <laughs> so we can't have that. 
Um, so please cut that out. But uh, yeah, Matthias, I, I think this is a, is a good um, moment to wrap things up. We have uh, been uh, on the air now for well over an hour. Um, and uh, yeah, the Leipzig game is obviously terrifying, as it always is, but somehow Dortmund uh, come out on top, so I hope it will be the same this time, and uh, I'm looking forward to the international break um, also because I hope A, it will help to uh, get some players back, which is much needed for the for the stint afterward, and uh, also we can maybe talk about the uh, transfer window um, because of course Dortmund need to do something if they can, I don't know how the financial situation has changed. Jane Sancho loan? <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I I don't know why I, I, I actually see some people that are a little bit gleeful about that that he has not been called up and that he is sort of uh, you know souring on the bench on uh, Solskjaer but uh, yeah I don't really have any hard feelings toward that so um, I'm, I'm just sad for no, him to be honest I just not at all. have a little yes. bit of pity um, but you know other, other than that um, yeah I do think we need to talk about potential backup strikers, maybe, and what else to do. Um, I think Sport 1 uh, Sport came out with a um, piece today saying that Dortmund lacks uh, top quality in their squad depth. Um, I don't know what you make of that statement, but I, I for 95% would disagree because I think Dortmund's squad depth is excellent if you have the amount of injuries you Dortmund sustained and you go on a four-win four-game winning streak in the Bundesliga and have 24 points after 10 match days, I think you have excellent squad depth. Um, I agree, and I think the 95%, the 5% caveat is probably the striker. Yeah. Um, or the Haaland backup. I mean, we're technically playing with two strikers this season. Uh, no, that's total garbage. I mean, if if uh, yeah, and maybe the, the, other teams the, that, that would lose... That criticism wouldn't yeah. even be so worse if uh, Marlon would play better. Which I think yeah, is, is, I mean, is my bad because when we signed him, I said, oh, he's a little bit older than the, <laughs> the usual 17 sec or, or so old guys and he would probably hit the ground running and be a consistent force for Dortmund. So far, I've been wrong. But uh, maybe maybe he needs half a right. year to adjust. You know, this happens yeah. with 23 or 25-year-old players too sometimes. It, 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 yeah. Sometimes it takes time, especially from the Eredivisie. Uh, Obama Young took a while yeah. to so, warm up. So did Lewandowski. Um, and, and yeah, and, and they both turned out to be semi-decent players. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't one, let's face it. I mean, <laughs> they have six fullbacks on the books and one is healthy. And that's Thomas Meunier, who's questionable how healthy he actually is. Right. So, you know, I mean, okay, shit, no, Paslak is also a fullback. I always forget about him. Right. Probably because he's short. Well, you forgot um, about Meunier earlier when you talked about fullbacks. You said that Paslak was the only healthy one, so now you're just uh, yeah, equalizing. The other way around. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, if, if you go, if you lose so many players, you know, I mean, no team. If, if Bayern would go through a similar bout of severe injuries, which they, which they have in seasons past, you know, you don't keep three deep in each position of high quality players because you can't keep them happy. Yeah, what's well, no, that's, that's an abs- <laughs> No, that's an that's an absolute garbage piece. Yeah, so. I, yeah. Also, you know, uh, for what it's worth, uh, I I don't think we have really appreciated it right now. But Dortmund players are fighting hard. They are going out there and they're leaving everything on the field every single game. They don't really have slumps. Even the one in Bielefeld. Um, wasn't really like a slump game where everyone, where anyone really took a break or you know wasn't mentally quite uh, checked in. 
Um, you know, that's something we've criticized in the past. And maybe as a, as a closing word, I just want to praise how well Dortmund are, are doing this right now. How how well the players are fighting and uh, the the next man up mentality. And also, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's also credit to the coaching. I don't obviously know uh, from the outside, but... Uh, you know, there's there's a team on the field that fights for wins and for each other, and that needs to be commended. And uh, I'm really happy about it because I really enjoy uh, watching this uh, limping football club right now. I I agree completely, and I think that is something that was rebuilt under Idin Tazic and it carried over because it's not like Dortmund added 20 new players. No, the core of the team is still the same. So that kind of got revitalized under Tezic and that huge run to finish third and win the DFB Pokal. And so I think that carried over because Marco Rosa is a similar mentality type person. I mean, he's an ex-Mainz player. He played with and for Klopp, I think. Mm -hmm. And so um, he, yeah, it, it just, it, it follows that mentality of, all right, let's keep fighting. And so, yeah, I agree with you because that was what happened with Ajax. I mean, even after Ajax took the lead, Dortmund kept going. They kept trying to do things and had a few opportunities. So um, the only match that I was very disappointed in Dortmund was the first match against Ajax where I just feel like they gave up. And that's not really something we've seen this season and hopefully we won't see it again. Yeah, but, I, you know, that to me, to some extent, is even understandable because they were so much outplayed that I think they were just at their wits end. You know, I don't want to make excuses for them, but I, I at least can kind of see it how, how this comes uh, about in, in such a game. But, you know, uh, let's let bygones be bygones and uh, uh, talk again after the Leipzig game to analyze uh, what shithousery, <laughs> what weird refereeing decision happened that time and uh, who else got injured. Um, in the meantime, though, Matthias, uh, please tell our uh, at least Twitter users where to follow you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Suk. Very well. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can follow all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to subscribe to this podcast, please do it on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, pff, whatever. And uh, if you want to contribute financially, go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And that's all from us for this week. And uh, all I have left to say is, as always, thank you for listening and goodbye.